Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is Axel Wright. How you doing today, Axel? I'm doing alright, how are you, my buddy? Not too bad. Alright, on today's show we will be discussing Marvel Netflix The Punisher and our thoughts on the controversial Star Wars The Last Jedi, <laughs> and as always, giving you our suggestions of the week. All right, let's start by talking about the whole Marvel Netflix series, I guess we'll call it, or universe. All right, man, you're, you're the – it's your name. You go first. <laughs> um, I got to say, when this was first announced, I was excited but kind of wary. With that first Daredevil trailer, I thought, oh, no, this is just Batman. <laughs> but uh, that has made me into a huge Daredevil fan. How about you? Well, I was kind of already a Daredevil fan, but I feel like Daredevil as a concept is like one of the best superhero concepts for television. I mean, a lawyer by day, superhero by night is just such a, like, dripping with potential as a television concept. All right, and then we moved on to Jessica Jones, which I was super excited for just because I didn't know anything about this character. It promised to be really dark, and it had David Tennant as the bad guy. And I wanted to see David Tennant as a bad guy. Now, Jessica Jones is still probably my second favorite show of the series, but I got to say I wasn't a fan of David Tennant as the Purple Man because he never felt menacing to me. He always kind of felt like David Tennant. Oh, that certainly puts you in the minority. I know. Uh, I never actually read the Alias comics, but um, I, I've been told they are – pretty much as good as the show is if not better so all right and then we moved on to luke cage which is the one i was the most excited for from the beginning because i like luke cage a big badass black man that's bulletproof <laughs> that beats the shit out of people based on 70s exploitation films what's that love <laughs> and then i watched it and i was bored uh, I was fine until the last two episodes, and then I was bored. But the all up to that point, I, I loved. I especially loved the actual moment where he got to wear his classic outfit, even if it was oh, just the Power for a Man callback was awesome. And I never finished it because I was just so bored. I didn't like the villains. I wasn't interested in the plot. I'm really hoping that season two will be better for me, because like I said, I'm a huge Luke Cage fan. I like the initial villain, like the first guy they got, but then when they basically replace him out with uh, what they call Diamondback or whatever his name, yeah, he, they, he uh, was boring. They pulled an Iron Man 3. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Someday we will. All right, then we move on to Iron Fist, the most divisive of the series. No, no, no. It's not divisive. It's universally reviled, and for good reason. How can it be universally reviled if I think it's okay? <sighs> you think it's okay, which already puts it several levels below the rest of the material that it's competing with. So, Oh, yeah, it's it's not nearly as good as the rest. And from what I understand, there was a lot of behind-the-scenes problems, including Michael Finn not having any time to actually learn martial arts because he was coming off Game of Thrones. Well, I have no problem with the actual actor uh, playing Iron Fist. The the problem was largely with how the script was written. Like, the pacing oh, yeah. was so poor. They didn't have a general idea. They didn't have a, what's the word? A theme. Each season has had a theme. And Iron Fist did not. <laughs> I, I would say that it does. It just has a poorly executed one. All right, and then that takes us to the Defenders, the big thing we were all waiting for, the thing we were all excited for, the thing that we weren't sure we were ever going to see, and I thought it was okay. 
Yeah, it's okay. I mean, its main problem was that it builds entire like storyline off of what was going on in Iron Fist, which itself was a failed execution. Sigourney Weaver was great, but she couldn't really save what was inherently a poor premise. Well, I, I guess the premise of all the characters coming together, that's great. But like using the hand as the villains and all that stuff they is just They didn't develop bad. the hand very well, which I will admit that was the big problem. So then that takes us to The Punisher, which is another one I wasn't sure could work until I saw season two of Daredevil, and I was like, okay, I'll give this a try. Because I'm not sure how well Frank Castle works as a character. Well, I mean, that depends on what version of The Punisher. I mean, there's the classic... uh, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a great interview with John Bernthal where he talks about how... In preparing for the role, he went to several like comic book stores, and uh, you know, at one of them, the guy selling him comics knew who he was and geeked out on him. But at another one, he was getting like comics, and he goes up, and the the guy behind the counter is like, "Yeah, I know who you are, and you can't not this one, not this one, not this one. You take this one, this one, and this one. Do not fuck this up." Yeah, I've <laughs> heard that story, and it makes sense. He did a great job. Again, he was one of the ones I was very hesitant for when they first cast him, because he was Shane from The Walking Dead, and my well, I never watched Walking Dead, Dead so I had well, no... I have thoughts on Walking Dead, but another time, another place. Sure, but sure. After seeing him in Daredevil, I'm like, okay, he that was interesting. He was a cool character. But how are they going to make 10 to 13 episodes out of a guy who's essentially everything wrong with the 90s comics? <laughs> well, the solution to focus on him as a soldier, and particularly as a soldier who is still dealing with the aftermath of like the things he did as a soldier is yes. a pretty, pretty brilliant conceit. They did that part perfectly. They made it topical, they made it timely, and they took what worked for the character in that he doesn't see himself as a good guy. He knows he's a bad guy, but he's doing a little bit better than the other bad guys. And he's an extremely damaged individual, which I thought was perfectly done in this series. This is a broken man. Well, actually, maybe this is because of the background that I come from, but I was way more surprised and far happier with what they did with Micro. Because, well, Punisher's always... Yeah, you are right in that Punisher can be seen as kind of a avatar for everything wrong with 90s comics but he's also had plenty of stories where he is the, the same kind of complex character we see for for micro to be taken as a character and give him like actual emotional depth and make him like relatable and more than just the one note character was a lot more impressive to me yeah i was surprised they pulled micro because i had a passing awareness of him but I had to look him up real quick, and I'm like, oh, wait, that guy? Oh, cool. Because, exactly, he was always the guy in the van, the guy in the chair. There was nothing more to him than just the tech guy. And they gave him a complex and intriguing. You wanted to know about this guy. You wanted to see him have a be successful. It, it certainly helps that uh, those characters, at least the, the actors in this case, have great antagonistic chemistry. Like just watching exactly. them exactly yeah watching them like fight against each other while trying to work together was just super entertaining so. well the way i look at it is everyone thinks they're the punisher when you're actually micro i'm an engineer i know i'm micro <laughs> everyone <laughs> thinks you're the super killy badass you're not you're the scared guy in the corner trying not to get shot while this rampaging monster <laughs> oh i will say though i i gotta point out one thing i think uh 
think I some other reviewers have mentioned this too, and this is totally just a nitpick, but I remember there's one of the episodes, it's probably the weakest episode of the season, that basically just tries to deal, make, like start some kind of gun control conversation. I mean, it makes sense in a Punisher series, but the the one where the the PTSD kid is finally like lost off his rocker, well, mm-hmm. Punisher says to him something like, uh, he, bombs are for the cowardly, and when he kills people, he makes sure that they like see him kill them, like he's eye to eye with them. Yeah. And I was like, in the first episode, I watched you snipe someone from another city, so don't you... <laughs> But come on, that was a cool shot. That was Oh no, it was a cool shot. It was just like an inconsistency that made me laugh. I was like, "Ah, come on, man. Don't lie." Yeah, so let's talk about that whole subplot which I thought was the strongest part of the series. Was that poor kid and his PTSD? Uh sure. Sure. I I I generally liked what they did with him. I thought he was engaging and I I felt for him as even though he reached a point where his decisions were for lack of a better term wrong exactly and one it works because it's topical because veteran affairs in america i don't know if you know anything about it they're not good (laughs) i only have a few veteran friends so i'll take your word for it yeah they're they're not not good at all um and especially the way we treat ptsd we're really struggling with that one and mental health so to have them address both these issues was really cool. And I also liked it because you could understand and sympathize with where he was going while not necessarily agreeing with him. <laughs> well, which... I remember I had that I had it was like a shameful fist bump moment when he when he stabbed that one dude. I was like, "No, but also yes." <laughs> yes. And like I said, can we just pause for a moment be grateful of a complex villain? I mean, we get some oh, good you mean ones, the actual but... Um, I can't remember his name. Oh, we'll, we'll we'll jump back to Jigsaw. Oh, okay, okay, sure, sure. I'm talking about this kid. The I kid. mean, he was a complex villain that you could understand and root for, even though he was terrible. And I thought it was really great. This is what Frank could have become. Mm, no, I, I totally understand that. Frank even sees that and owns up to it when they're when the kids trying to say, "Oh, we're the same." No, we're not. <laughs> I do bad shit, and I know I'm doing bad shit. You do bad shit, and you think you're doing good shit. Well, plus the one of the big – so the similarity between them is important is that both of them are using uh, violent out, outlets to work through whatever pain that they're dealing with. But Frank basically has no illusion that he, the thing he's working through is extremely personal, and the targets he's choosing are extremely personal. But the, the kid is instead choosing this very – overtly like political kind of abstract concept i mean he's fighting in his mind he's fighting the government which is itself this unruly eldritch thing so he doesn't really have focus yeah but it it makes it means he lacks focus and it also since it lacks the personal connection it doesn't feel as easy to relate to what it is he's doing it doesn't feel as justifiable maybe i mean sure there are people out there who are going to see the idea of taking on uh, the government, especially if they agree more with his base principles, as justifiable. But since Frank's mission is very personal, you know, death of his family and stuff, it's it's a lot easier to see what he's doing as just, even if you don't agree with his methods. So, yeah, and that's again what makes it really topical is we are in this weird spot right now that you know this stuff has happened, can happen, may happen. 
So it adds this level of realism to a show about a guy with a gun killing mobsters in the same universe where there's a guy with a magic hammer and a gun. <laughs> which, yeah, yeah. The one thing that bugs me that I really wish they would address is the fact that the non-cinematic universe is treated as the unwanted stepchild to the Marvel universe. <laughs> Okay. I'm not asking for crossovers. I'm not asking for one-to-ones. But I'm saying, you know, how cool would it have been if in Civil War, when Tony's talking about the Registration Act, to say, and we've got all these vigilantes springing up in New York, we can't have this anymore. True. I agree. All you need, At least a line. All you need. And even the Netflix shows have kind of started moving away from it. And some people go, oh, well, it's a tonal issue. You're not saying Iron Man has to cameo in the next season of Luke Cage. But the whole – what makes this fun is it's a connected universe, yeah, and I'd like kinda, to actually have it connected. Yeah, but you can kind of see it being treated like – I mean there are certain eras and certain groupings of how the comics function kind of that way where, where certain runs of comics would tie over with each other a lot more frequently than certain others, even if they were supposedly happening at the same time. So it's not like this is unprecedented. No, but you still get a feeling that it's all the same universe. But again, that's one of my minor nitpicks. My only other minor nitpick, and it's a real small one, was where was the minigun? <laughs> they oh. teased us in the end of Daredevil Season 2 with a minigun. We never saw the minigun. Yeah, I didn't think about that while watching it, but uh, you know, I'm not disagreeing with you. So, I mean, I don't know in what situation he would have used the minigun. Yeah. <laughs> Just a great inflection when you say it. The minigun? Yeah. Should be a I, proper pronoun. Yes. <laughs> so, so character. let's talk about the second villain, which was, again, can we really pause and appreciate the moment that we had two really good villains in a Marvel Netflix show, which I don't think we've had yet? Um, well, I mean, the, only net, the only Marvel Netflix show before this to play around with having multiple villains was Iron Fist, and we kind of, you know, glanced over that. And but... we had Luke Cage, and... Oh, okay. Again, Jessica Luke Cage. I, just, I forget about it because once they kill the villain I actually care about, then the other ones don't. You kind of check out. Pretty much. So they've done it before, but it's never been, as you just stated, once they're gone, you don't care about them. But you remember both villains distinctly from this series. True enough. So, Benny, interesting character. I didn't see the whole betrayal coming. That was really good, and it kind of ties into the whole personal nature of this show. Well, that was that was a moment where I actually was glad that I was not a big fan of Punisher comics because I only had a cursory, you know, cursory experiences with Punisher comics. I've I've read a couple, but none of them, the ones I did read, directly dealt with Jigsaw. So I didn't know his name. I didn't even know the character. And I didn't watch any of the previous movies because I'm not a Punisher fan before now. So I think that that uh, was actually a benefit for me because yeah, I well, got to surprise. I gotta me. give it to him because the character Jigsaw and the character Benny. Two separate people. Sure. So even the hardcore hardcore uh, Punisher fans didn't know who they were setting up until we saw him alive with his face all scarred up. I don't know if that's necessarily true because that his full name was revealed pretty early in the show, and that is the same full name as the Jigsaw character in like all incarnations of him. Oh, I so. thought it was a different character. No, no. Oh well, but and. I'm really curious to see that one because the only time we've seen that before was in the terrible Punisher War Zone. <laughs> yeah. Which the premise of the character is kind of cool in that he's going to unite all the varying groups of mobsters together 
to unify a la Kingpin and fight the Punisher. Mm-hmm. And given that we now know that Kingpin will be returning for season two of Daredevil. Thank Odin. How are these two going to tie together? Is there going to be a gang war? Is he going uh, to become lieutenant to Kingpin? More likely. I mean, that has some really interesting potential for future series, which I got to admit, like I said, when this whole thing first started, I was very apprehensive that this wouldn't just become Batman. <laughs> I've heard that uh, criticism leveled at Arrow more than uh, Daredevil, but... <laughs> yeah, I still need to finish that one because... Well, that well, we can talk about that another time, so... <laughs> So now let's talk about, you know, future... What Hold we on. Want to before, see. before you go, I want to bring attention to one uh, Benny scene that I think perfectly sums up why he's great as a character, right. which is that... Uh, is it the, I'm pretty sure it's the last episode where he goes to the, the support group guy's house and they have their, their standoff there. And what I love about that is, like, because... Even though he wants to kill them, they are still soldiers. There's a certain level of respect. So when he says, when they make the deal, when he's like, I'm not going to kill him, and then he follows through on it, even though he could easily have done it. And it's like, it shows that the even though he's betrayed Frank, the soldier is still there. It's just he has a different set of priorities. And that's part of what makes him complex and interesting. And I feel like that scene perfectly exemplifies it. Yeah, and you know who the Punisher's favorite... Uh superhero is the punisher's favorite superhero yes shoot captain america i mean he's the the ultimate soldier hero so i can totally understand that captain america is his idol because he believes captain america represents everything that he can't be and everything he wants to be i buy that totally buy that which again i wish there was a little bit more crossover continuity because i would just love a scene where frank talks about cap now, it doesn't really work in this setup like it does in the comics. Well, one of the downsides would be that Chris Evans, at least on screen, would kind of dwarf John Bernthal. So. Well, yeah, there's that. and I don't know. That would just be something I don't know how they do it, but I would like to see some level of addressment to. Which brings me to my next point. What other, since this has worked, what other Netflix Marvel series would you like to see? Just your number one choice of a hero that you think would be adapted perfectly. Actually, it won't happen because he's too important of a hero, but I would rather see Spider-Man on TV than in movies because I feel like, again, he's the he's kind of the ultimate street-level hero, so I feel like he's better suited to television than movies. Not that you can't make good movies with him, but... Mm, that would be interesting. Uh, for me, the one I want and the one they've hinted at forever is Moon Knight. <laughs> I mean, that's really obscure, at least when it comes to the general mass, but sure, sure. Well, that was the great thing about these is how many people knew Jessica Jones before this? You have a great point there. I mean, this has been a great platform for exposing those lesser known characters. And I know I'm not alone. People have been pushing for a Moon Knight series since they announced this because again he works perfectly in this universe he is i'm gonna say it, badass batman <laughs> okay sure sure because he is a guy that is murdered resurrected by the egyptian god of vengeance to go out and punish the wicked as well as hunt supernatural creatures with an array of badass weapons but here's the twist. He's bipolar, so all of this could be in his head. Mm. 
And the bipolar aspect they tie into, his powers tend to grow and wane with the moon, depending on its strength. So this would be a fantastic, gritty one, street level, and then from there you can tie in Blade with Wesley Snipes. Sure. No, I think Blade would make a great television series. I know that they've already uh, there's been some hint at him, and one I don't I didn't catch it because I again not a huge Blade fan, but I know that there was some hint at it that people jumped on. I I've I've been doing a lot of like DC animated universe stuff recently, so I'm having a hard time even remembering a lot of the more obscure Marvel characters. <laughs> I'm I'm preoccupied right now with the idea of a Static Shock show, so <laughs> that one could work. I think that would work better than Black Lightning, but. Well, for some reasons, certainly. But we're not talking about DC. Just we're talking Right about now we're on Marvel. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Uh, as far as more obscure characters go, uh, sure. I, but Moon Knight feels really large like as a concept. Like I feel like he would want to become a movie maybe. for Moon Knight. No, not, not too complex. It's just he's kind of the an, an epic kind of character that I feel like would be better suited to a movie than a television series. Well, in there you're right. Because the only... We've gotten a hint that Moon Knight will make an appearance in the MCU. Because if you remember way back to Winter Soldier, when they when Sitwell was listing off those Easter eggs, mm-hmm. he listed a news reporter in Cairo. Mm. Which some people took as, okay, Moon Knight. All right. And Moon Knight would be cool if they wanted to move into more supernatural elements of the MCU. With mm-hmm. now we've got Doctor Strange and we could, you know, expand off into that one. Either way, I want a Moon Knight movie. I mean, he's a master swordsman that flings moon-shaped batarangs, and he's Marvel's answer to Batman. And mm-hmm. to be honest, I'm kind of tired of Batman. Uh, you and a lot of the internet, actually. Let's move on to another controversial topic, the new Star Wars film, which I don't, I don't know about this now. You, All right. But I am honestly so, so tired of hearing about Star Wars. Well, you've been tired of hearing about Star Wars for years, so. No, I love Star Wars. It's one of my big things. But when I say I'm tired of hearing about Star Wars, I am tired of checking my Facebook every day and seeing arguments and articles and thought pieces on why Last Jedi is or is not the best thing that's ever happened to Star Wars. Okay. It's exhausting. <laughs> sure, sure. I just don't care anymore. <laughs> okay. I never thought I would say I am tired of film discussion. but this That is pretty scary. This debate of The Last Jedi has just, you know, I, I'm I'm done for now. I don't really care anymore. I don't care about the solo movie and the people's speculations about that. But, to be fair, I haven't cared about the solo movie since they even announced it because the idea is, <laughs> I mean, I didn't like Rogue One, and that was, so I was more banking on the, like, the primary movies, and I'm not really caring about the offshoots in general. Well, so. let's, 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 let's jump back there. Before we get into discussion of The Last Jedi, let's just talk about our thoughts on the Star Wars movies leading up to Last Jedi, which is just Rogue One and Force Awakens. So let's start with Force Awakens. What were your thoughts on Force Awakens? I know that one was pretty I- I love Force Awakens. I, I adored it. I went and saw it in theaters three times. It was my number one movie of that year. And it wasn't better than other movies I saw that year, but it was just a much better experience. Like, it just tapped into something primal for me. Yeah, and that is exactly why it got my number one movie of that. I enjoyed it so much, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And 
going back and watching it, it still has its flaws, but it's a fun movie. And the criticism that, oh, it's too much like uh, the f original trilogy, you did that to yourselves. You <laughs> bitched so loud and so long about the prequels that Disney felt they had to reassure you that everything is the same now, everything is okay. Well, also, I mean, and this is using partially information about Last Jedi to do retrospective, but this was also true at the time. The, the fact that Force Awakens started a trilogy that, at least at this point, seems to be largely about Star Wars' relationship to its past uh, and how it moves forward, it made sense for the first movie in the new trilogy to be largely an homage to why people got into this in the first place. So Yeah, and for me, it did enough new stuff that I was okay with it. There was enough new and interesting things. Which then brings us to Rogue One, which is a prequel, <sighs> which a lot of people were divided on. Now, I liked it for the most part. I like two I, things about Rogue One. That's the I, entirety. Well, okay, three, um, three-ish. I enjoy it. It's, it's a war movie in Star Wars in that it's kind of got a darker, grittier, harsher tone. Um, that final battle with the starships was amazing and we got to see darth vader being an utter badass and it made me want a darth vader movie it was now, darth vader being an 80s slasher which was amazing that's totally yes. what it was doing which is one now, of the three things i liked yeah i figured it was the only real problem that i had with that movie was it was kind of boring at points <laughs> at points jeez. I feel like 95% of that movie, I was just waiting for something interesting to happen. I, I like say about halfway through the second act, I'm like, I'm getting kind of bored here. <laughs> I liked Darth Vader. I thought Donnie Yen was amazing in like every everything he got to do, but I was excited about Donnie Yen from the first time I saw him in the trailer. Uh, and I thought Mads Mikkelsen was like way too good of an actor for the material he was being given. Like, he didn't really do anything. Yeah, but did you ever see The Hunt? Man, Mads Mikkelsen is amazing. And oh, gave I know he's a great actor. I'm saying is they didn't give him anything to do. Exactly. That's my point. But yeah, most of Rogue One was just boring for me. Like, And that's like the worst thing that a movie can be. Even a movie oh. that I hate can at least give me something to like actively hate. But Rogue One just was boring. 100%. So then we get to Last Jedi. And in talking about the last two films, I kind of feel like some of my problems were already in the movie. So let's just start with our general opinions on the movie. And for me, when anyone says, what do you think of The Last Jedi? I have to I pause and I struggle. Like, it's a movie. <laughs> Good, place gonna, Good stop, place to end. <laughs> I'm going to tell you to go see it because I think everyone needs to see it and make their own opinion of it. I have some problems with it. Well, even if you hated it, Star Wars is a cultural like touchstone. Like Star Wars is important to world culture. Even yeah. if you don't like it, you everyone should see a Star Wars movie. And this is the worst film ever made, or the worst Star Wars film. I Which mean, is bull, I because Attack yeah. on the Clones exists. I like so. the prequels. I enjoy them, but I also recognize that they have some serious flaws, and this movie is nowhere near those in terms of issues. I think people are overreacting. So I ask people, go and see it. Make an opinion for yourself. 
it's not you're not going to walk out of there going, well, I just wasted money. You're going to feel something. Which... Well, that should always be the case with any movie. Uh, to exactly. me, the the point of reviewers, the point of going online and looking at other people's opinions is not to figure out whether or not you should see it, but to figure out how much money you should spend on it. Like if most reviewers that you trust because of course it's not about an objective reviewer, it's about what reviewers tend to have your same priorities. So if most of your reviewers don't like a movie like this, then spend a dollar on it to, to see it in the dollar theater as opposed to spending $10 on it, but still form your own opinion. It's still a spectacle movie that I think people should go see. Yeah, yeah. So what are your thoughts on it? Just, you know, when you, people say, what do you think of uh, Last Jedi? What, what, do, what, what do you tell them? I've had uh, arguments about this over the last week, you know, with this being New Year's and Christmas time. I've been seeing a lot of people I don't see very often, and I've most of my friends were iffy on it. I got one friend who actively referred to it as a dumpster fire, and I got into a shouting match with him. Um, but I liked it. I don't think it was as good as Force Awakens as far as an experience goes. Like I had a much better time with Force Awakens, but I think it... The Last Jedi gave me a lot more to think about, and in that regard, I, I think it's a maybe a better movie, but I'd say with a huge quotation marks. It was yeah. uh, number six on my list of my, my favorite movies this year. So Yeah, my it didn't crack my top ten, which kind of caused issues, because beginning of the year, I'll look at the movies I know are coming out, and I will start allotting like, okay, I know I'm going to enjoy these movies, so I'm going to put these in the top ten just as placeholders. That's a dangerous thing to, to do, but okay. Well, typically I get to the end of the year, and some years I will really struggle to find 10 films I really liked. This year, it's the opposite. <laughs> and with Star Wars getting knocked out, it opened a gap, and it's like, all right, well, you 20 other movies I like this year, you all get to fight for a spot now. Yeah, I suppose so. So that's kind of created that issue. And I think for me, the biggest problem I have with this one is it revealed that Disney does not have a plan? I, I don't know about that, but go ahead. I think that this one goes that Disney has no idea the direction they want this franchise to go. Because for me, and for a lot of other people, the number one problem they have with this is the dropped storylines from the first one. I, uh, I know where you're going with this already, because I've, I've listened to... Uh, you know, a number of people online talk about their issues with the movie. One of my favorite reviewers is also the most critical of it. I listened to his whole, like, 20-minute spiel about his problems with it. I've argued about it. And first of all, before we go into this, I want to establish something that I just uh, came to a while back, which is this concept of that there can be explanations for why something is in a movie or a book or a narrative of any kind. And for some people, it can make the scene suddenly good. For other people, it can't. The perfect example of this for me is Spider-Man 3, where, yes, we all know email Peter Parker, absolutely terrible. Uh, for me, it makes perfect sense. Like, yeah, I'm with you on this one. Yeah, I understand exactly why Peter and the symbiote would act the way they do, but that doesn't make it any more enjoyable to watch. So... The reason I bring that up is because there's at least one scene in The Last Jedi that a bunch of people hate that, mm -hmm. for me, makes sense. It I understand why it's there, and I think it actually helps the movie, but I don't expect my explanation to change anyone's opinion on it. That's yeah. the whole reason I bring that up. So, okay, so let's put a big old spoiler warning from here on out. <laughs> okay. So um, we can talk freely. 
I think we've both said go see it. You're going to make it, have an opinion on it. We'll start with what you were talking about because I'm pretty sure I know where you're going and where a lot of people go. So this idea of uh, dropping storylines from Force Awakens, um, you were probably referring to specifically Rey's lineage, correct? Not actually. But let's talk about that one because that one is a big point that pissed a lot of people off. <laughs> Which for me, uh, I don't. I don't see why, but sure. Oh, I, I 100% understand why, but I can tell you why it doesn't bother me. I guess that's more accurate for me as well, but you go ahead. As to the why it bothers people is because they were so heavy-handed in making this a plot point in The Force Awakens that this is something we're going to address. This is something important. Who are parents are matter. This is something that matters. And then a whole, you know, the gap between were videos Ulrich. and theories and people. All right, can, can I pause you just for a second there? Because sure. at that point, after I saw Jedi, me and my, my buddy, Woonvog, were talking about it. And we brought that up. And then we both looked at each other and went, tried to count the scenes in Force Awakens that directly reference Rey's lineage. And admittedly, I haven't seen Force Awakens in like, you know, maybe like six months or something like that. but. From my recollection, I could think of maybe one scene, and me, which is the one where they actually show her parents leaving her on the planet. So me and Cor uh, me and Wunvog were thinking that the that that was more built up by the fan base online than the movie itself explicitly promising you anything, and that that created expectations that the movie didn't actually create. Again, I had to go back and rewatch, but I'm just saying, are you sure that the movie promised you that? Because I'm not. I've got at least three examples in my head that I can think of where they made a point of her lineage. Okay, what? Besides, the, besides the one where they show her actually getting left on the planet. Then there's the one where they're in the, uh, well, we'll call it insert Moss Eisley version 2.0 mm -hmm. where she's told don't worry about who they were they're never coming back okay that seems like a direct anti-promise but all right it's still drawing attention to lineage and then it's either i think it was ray it was uh ren or somebody one of the main characters saying who are you who and you know basically drawing attention to where did you come from why are you important Okay, so that all to me ties in perfectly with why the anticlimax of the story works so well. Because The Last Jedi thematically, and we'll come back to this a few times, at least if you talk to me about it, uh, thematically is about two things that tie together. One is the destruction of dynasties. Star Wars for a long time has been accused. I mean, the old joke is that it's uh, like how one family ruins a universe. It's all about, you know, it's just like a soap opera with the Skywalkers, essentially. So that, that's been an old joke. And this movie, Last Jedi, is kind of creating a storyline of bringing down these, these kind of long-standing dynasties. And moreover, it's also creating uh, a subtext, which actually gets brought into a vortext with the Canto Bite, but we'll talk about that later, that about class warfare, about the everyman versus royalty, essentially. And so having the Skywalkers be the dynasty of Star Wars, uh, and having Rey's parentage tie her directly to what is essentially the opposite of a dynasty. She is an everyman and representative of an everyman by not coming from any sort of mattering lineage. It brings that, that subtext 
like very much into the foreground by establishing that the conflict between Ray and Kylo is like literally a conflict between uh, the royalty and everyone else. Yeah, that 100% sums up why I'm not bothered by them saying it doesn't matter who your parents are. Like, well, I, I think can... it does matter who her, who her parents are. It mattered to the greater narrative, though. Yes, it matters to the greater narrative because it matters that them being no one is what makes Rey representative of every man. Okay. Like, if they were, if we were unknown, then there could always be, you know, questions of. I thought she was Obi Wan's kid for a long time. That was my like hypothesis. Oh, I never bought but... that one. The timeline didn't matter. Add... Sure, sure, but I thought you know Star Wars, Forrest MacGuffin, whatever. But yeah, true, true. Yeah, but her parents being no one is what makes that like conflict have that meaning. Yeah, so for me, what I say when I say they dropped uh, plot from the first one is, of course, uh, Snoke. <laughs> okay, Snoke. There's just two things about Snoke I'll say. One, um, feeling that Snoke was at all, like his backstory and like that was promised to you in Force Awakens, I just don't think that's the case at all. Because you don't need a character's backstory uh, for them to be important i mean see like the joker from the dark knight who we know nothing about until he shows up i'm not saying the snoke is anywhere near as interesting as the joker but as an example um i mean the emperor in the original trilogy we didn't know jack about where about anything about him other than he was the emperor so i don't feel like his backstory or where he came from was at all promised I'm fine with there not being a backstory. I mean, a lot of the greatest villains, as you just pointed out, didn't have a backstory. Vader, we didn't really know his backstory. Emperor, didn't know his backstory. You can have great villains and not know their backstory. My problem was, it really feels like, and again, where I say Disney didn't have a plan because he was introduced as this grand, powerful, head of the uh, New Order, dangerous guy. He's in this movie. We see that he is so powerful and able to reach across space to, you know, use the force. And we're getting hype. We're getting built like, okay, who is this guy? What's he going to do? And he gets maybe five minutes of screen time. <laughs> All right. And I mean, I think because he's really only as important as so far as how he functions for Kylo Ren. But I get what you're saying. Go ahead. That one bugged me. It's like, wait a second. Why did you even, you know, build him up as this big threat and spend time on him when you were just planning to kill him off? Which, again, kind of makes me going, right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. Yeah, I, I don't get that feeling. I feel like Snoke's... Uh, here's the thing. I, I've been of the opinion that I would have liked, say, one line in the movie that... And this is perfect, completely headcanon, and when the books come out to prove this wrong, I will, um, I'll drop this, but that uh, his look and his scars came from Sidious, and that that's why he didn't show up until Sidious died, like he was in hiding while Sidious was in power or something like that. So having one line in the movie where he, he says something like, oh, you know, ever since Sidious gave me this scar, could it easily allow you know, an audience to fill in whatever details you need. Um, as for, but besides that, like, as for what he actually does in the movie, I mean, we get to see him doing all the crazy four stuff, like you said, but that's really the extent of what I needed him to do. Like, Kylo killing him is, uh, like, perfect for me because it's all about, like, Kylo's rise to power to put him in the position where he's the head of this whole order, so Ray can be the head of this whole order to make that, that class stuff I was talking about before, like the focus of the next movie. So I feel like that 
wasn't a matter of not knowing. It was a matter of, all right, we got this piece to get Kylo evil, and that's just, he's another stepping stone to get Kylo to the place we want him for the third movie. Which, I feel like you should have done that in the first movie, because here's the problem I have. You spent all this time building up Snoke as this big, all-powerful, mysterious badass. Really? Did they? I don't feel like they did. He reached or he used the Force across the galaxy. So, the Force is the ultimate MacGuffin. It can do whatever the writers need it to do. I guess this is true. And you've kind of kept him in the shadows to build mystery. And can we go back to the line from Force Awakens where he's telling Kylo to come to him where they will finish his training? Okay, that, yeah, sure. Had he gone out in a sense, in a way that made sense? Because you got the whole Sith ruler too, which... Let's, you know, the master, mu- the apprentice must kill the master. I, I don't remember who made the joke, but someone made the joke going, that seems kind of dumb of the Sith. They know this is a rule they have written in, but they never expect the inevitable betrayal. <laughs> uh, sure, sure. And so he's sitting here in this big monologue of, I know Kylo Ren oh so well. I'm, you know, the greatest. And it's like, oh, you're going to die. <laughs> can, you bro- can you broadcast this any stronger? Blah, blah, blah. I'm so great. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, no. Sudden and inevitable betrayal. How did I not see this coming? Okay, sure. On paper, I agree with you. In in experience, for me, it was a matter of, like, ratcheting up the, uh, like, the emotions of the scene and the tension and, like, waiting for it to happen. There so, was but no I, I tension. I knew exactly where it was going. I'm like, damn it. Fast well, forward. You're using tension in a different way than I'm using it. For me, the tension was like, oh, come on, when, come on. You know, and the well, idea that he was going to... Had he gone down on a badass lightsaber duel or done something, then this just, you know, you knew it was coming. And I hate when I can predict a scene, like I know how the scene's going to play out while I'm watching it, because then I have to sit there and wait for it to happen, and it's just frustrating to me. Okay, that's it's not frustrating to me. I mean, it depends on... Uh, what the movie is trying to do. Like, if the movie is very obviously set up something where you're not supposed to know, and then you predict it, and then you have to watch the movie still obviously not get that you have predicted it, you know, that's one thing, you know. uh, But in this case, it's not like the movie was trying to hide from you what was going to happen. It was about, hey, we're, we're telegraphing this. Now, watch it play out with the possibility that Snoke might, like, figure it out or something but he doesn't but that's where like the tension in this regard comes from is you know we got snoke very obviously seeming to like read kylo's mind and there's possibility he's going to figure out what happens before it actually happens even though we very obviously see what's going on so it's not like the predictability was not really a factor in my enjoyment of that particular scene uh for me it was because then that created a more interesting possibility it's like, hmm, okay, so either A, this is going to play out like I think it is, and Kylo's going to kill him, Ray's going to try to turn on the light side, there's going to be a duel, they're going to be separated. Okay, or B, Snoke's going to know what's happening, big lightsaber duel, and either Kylo wins and we get something, okay, well, what now? Or he loses and, okay, what now? I feel like the other option was more interesting than what happened. Yeah, but by your admission right now, the fact that you were sitting there and realizing that there were multiple ways it could go means you hadn't like perfectly predicted everything. There were possibilities. I was hoping that I hadn't predicted, which is, again, kind of the problem I have with the movie, is a lot of the stuff I felt I saw coming and it wasn't any big, oh my, shockers. It just kind of annoyed huh. me. 
That's funny because that puts you in the. I, I mean, again, I'm I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who are like you and predicted plenty, but a lot of the reviewers that I pay attention to um, said that one of the things they liked about it was how it took turns and twists that they did not see coming in any Star Wars movie. So. So then let's move on to the next thing, which is a minor issue, but still kind of bugged me, and that was the fight with the Red Guard, which was awesome. Awesome, yes. But why or when did Ray learn to use a lightsaber effectively? Uh, okay, if we want to get like nitpicky, then yeah, sure, it makes sense that even if she trained with a staff, training with uh, fighting with a lightsaber is completely different because the weight distribution is completely off. It's also the difference between fighting with a staff versus fighting with a sword. Sure, but it's a space opera, and I don't care so well i'll circle back to it because that's kind of an issue i have with her as a character because it bugged me i'm sitting there going oh that was a really cool fight but okay the red guard were giving kylo ren trouble how is it that ray is still alive and that kind of bugged me but we'll go on to that more later yeah i guess to me that's just not an issue so then let's jump to the other big issue a lot of people have and that is the whole running from the Death Star subplot. You mean running from the Imperial? Uh, oh, the yeah, Imperium. The, the Imperial, the, the First Order. First Order, yeah. So I got Warhammer 40k on the mind. <laughs> so. Always a good thing to have on your mind. But let's talk about that whole scene, and of course the big one sure. of every, the Poe Dameron plot and the how none of that seemed to go anywhere. We'll circle back to Canto Bite afterwards. Let's just talk about well, the Canto Bite. All right, fine. That's a whole other thing we got to talk about. I just want to talk about the fact that the Admiral did not tell Poe what was going on. Oh, you've just touched on, literally, to me, like all the issues I've heard people say, um, all but one I can easily write off. Like that my priorities are different or I think they are explained in this way or that way. But the Admiral is the one major problem that I have no explanation for in the movie, that her her decision – to keep the information from Poe is a terrible, terrible decision. That's very obviously is just the writers trying to have this like arc for Poe to go from, you know, cocksure shoot first, ask questions later to a more thoughtful leader. But you could have easily have done the exact same arc with her telling him what the plan is and him disagreeing with it, as opposed to her just stupidly keeping the information from him. Yeah, and there's actually an explanation that has been given, and it comes from the books, which is something else we'll have to touch on. Sure. And the in-canon book explanation is that Leia was always very much about keeping secrets and keeping things to herself and not letting people in. And since this admiral had studied under Leia, she adopted that tactic. But where Leia had learned to, you know, be a bit more open and the importance of letting your subordinates know what was going on, she never learned that lesson. That is the in-canon explanation, and I still call bullshit. Well, you know, what makes it even worse is that, like, not only is she keeping it from Poe, but the fact that she's got a bridge helping him means that she's not telling anyone on the bridge what the plan is either. So she's got this plan that everyone has to be a part of, and she's telling literally no one. I don't care how secretive she's supposed to be. That's just terrible leadership. It is. That's one of the basic arts of war. If the command is clear and it fails, it is the fault of the soldiers. If the command is unclear and it fails, it is the fault of the general. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. They are Which is exactly right. what happened. Indeed. So, no, that was my major issue with that one. My other one that kind of pissed me off and it really took me out of the movie when I realized it is, wait a second, this whole part of the movie is one ship 
slowly running away from another ship. Okay, that I have no problem with, so... Now, 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 you can't have your cake and eat it too. Either physics don't apply or physics do apply in this universe. Sure, I'm saying that, like, if we want to say overall, it's a space opera, so it can do whatever it needs to do to have the emotion. And it's not as actually a science fiction, so it doesn't really matter. I'm just saying that if you are going to have a nitpick about like how that chase works, that actually does make a certain amount of sense from a physics point. I'm not saying that I'm going to use that to gauge it. I'm just saying that someone who tries to use that to criticize it, I can counter. I'm saying as a story element, that's, yeah, I could see what they were going for to really up the tension, but somehow that came across as boring. And it was probably because the entire time my brain's going, why aren't they just flying out TIE fighters? Hmm. Like, my brain was going, there is about 101 different ways I can think to end this. And again, if that's happening, that means I'm bored. And if I'm well, bored, then the movie's not doing something right. Well, okay, I admit this is conjecture. On my part, totally. I would say the reason why they're not doing TIE Fighters is because historically, at least what Force Awakens and Last Jedi show us, is that their TIE Fighters tend to get their asses kicked by resistance fighters like Poe. So they wanted to more like, uh, hey, we're going to be able to kill them without losing anyone anyway by just waiting long enough, so why waste the TIE Fighters? Could be. And then let's talk about the bigger issue that... I mean, this isn't a bigger issue, I guess, but this is another minor nitpick that the whole running away slowly brings up. How is the Rebellion so bad that they have utterly collapsed in less than a movie? Well, it's probably only because the majority of the resources were on the planets destroyed by Starkiller Base. Again, conjecture, though. Well, I've read the books, and those actually were not rebel bases. Those were the government's... Yes, but I don't feel like the books are... I haven't read the books, and it didn't bother me in the movies, because like the movie, as we said, it's a space opera, so all they had to show me is, hey, we destroyed some planets. I don't even know exactly what they are, but apparently they're important to the Resistance, so I can fill in the gaps that that probably is the reason why they're in such terrible condition right now. Plus, being a Resistance, like if you study how Resistances work, they tend to work in like cells, like, you know, uh, so yeah. the idea that, for instance, Leia talks about other pockets of the resistance that they're trying to get communication to, that's perfectly in line with like how resistance fighting goes. So like logically yeah. speaking, it doesn't bother me that this particular group of the resistance is pretty small. And I think that is kind of a storytelling element that I have with it. This new series on a whole is so much of the information is held back for books. If you want to know more about this character, you want to understand this universe, you need to go read the books, which I can typically appreciate. I'm a lore fiend. I love that kind of stuff. But when it feels integral to the story, I have an issue with it. And it I guess, but f- nothing you've said so far feels integral to, at least not to my understanding of the story. Like I said, I, I, I can easily understand, at least in, in what the story is trying to present in the movies without having to read the books i'm sure the books would elucidate and in the case we discussed this before with uh, how the first order came to be that the conclusion that i came to from the movie is not correct based on the books but it still is one that works in context of the movie so yeah. without the movie directly contradicting it i don't need to have the quote-unquote correct explanation 
And we've had this discussion, like you just said. And I know I'm not alone because a, a couple other movie critics I've listened to have had the same thing going, wait a second, I would like to know more about blank. Which then sure. brings us into what I consider the biggest flaw, best meaning but still biggest flaw, the Canto bite scene. Because that whole subplot was a big chunk of movie, which I got what they were going for but I don't think worked and I think took time away from other more interesting world building elements. Okay. So here's the thing about Canto bite. Most of the reviewers I've seen the primary issue that it killed the pacing. It made the movie like 20 minutes too long or whatever. Um, when I saw it, first of all, just from a like pacing point of view, um, I had heard some other people refer to us like uh, a sequence involving Finn and Rose that, killed the pacing. I didn't know exactly what they were talking about, but I knew it involved those two characters like going off on their own adventure. So when it started happening, I knew this was the thing people were talking about. And then it was over and I was like, really? That felt like nothing to me. Like it, So the point is, that at least from my personal subjective experience, uh, it felt over like a snap. Um, and then if you go back to what I said at the beginning of this, the whole idea of understanding why something is doesn't necessarily make it uh, good for some audiences but can make it good for others to me the canto bite sequence is thematically important because it's all about this idea of hey the villains in this movie aren't just the space nazis they're the ruling class tying in with this idea of the everyman versus the you know dynasties and the royalty and this movie or this scene puts it in stark relief to illustrate that so. Yeah, and I understand that, and I get it, and I 100% agree that that's a great element. I just don't think it was told in an interesting way, at least uh, for me. Sure. I mean, I, I, I did, but... Well, when you look at if enough people thought this ruined the pace, this didn't work, then I think the majority consensus is there that, no, what they were going for didn't work. That they got the message still but it wasn't told in an interesting fashion. Well, and okay, they... I'm going to sound... Hold on, I'm going to sound like elitist here. Uh, again, I'm not saying that understanding it makes it better. I totally can buy someone getting it and still not liking it. But I do think that, at least based on the comments I've seen from various really smart reviewers and people I've talked to, like no one has brought up the, the things that we are talking about, what Canto Bite does. They're just like, I, one of my friends referred to it as uh, what would happen in a tabletop role play if you split the party and then you just got to check in with somebody. Like, people aren't talking about what it means thematically. People are just talking about how it seems to have nothing to do with the rest of the movie and how it, it kills the pacing. So, my point is, I don't think people are getting what Canto Bite does, but I also understand that even if they do get it, that doesn't necessarily make them enjoy it more. It's like a capitulation. Yeah. And the thing that, for me, that kind of seals it, is I think you could have had that same element, but the planet itself was boring. I did hear at least one person refer to it as feeling too Earth-like. I, I didn't feel that, but I think I can understand uh, it. The number one callback I've heard is people are referring to it as the 50s diner from Attack of the Clones. Sure. It doesn't belong, it feels out of place, and it would take what is an essential story element and, you know, flips it. And I think that if you really wanted to have that scene, and you really wanted to uh, do that story element, then make it a factory world. 
So that way you could have like the blue collar workers against the people who own the factories and still have the here's explicit. How... Yeah, and here's how I would do it. I'm gonna pull a 40k reference because sure. there are worlds. You got two types of worlds in 40k. You got hive worlds and forge worlds. And I think we'll go with a hive world for this example. And basically, a hive world is the planet is so densely overpopulated, cities are built in spires, with the richest people living at top, on top, and the poorest people living at bottom. And it is an ungodly hell pit. Who who owns the hive worlds? Are these tyranids? No, hive worlds are Imperium. Oh. Okay. And they are used people. Everything on the planet is an exploited resource by the very few people at the very top of the spires. Okay. And I think you could have done something very similar with that, something interesting, and you could have gotten your point across the same and have it fit the universe. It would have been a bit heavy-handed, but if you re- if people aren't getting your message, then maybe it was too subtle. Sure, but I, I do think, you know, remember our job as quote-unquote reviewers isn't to rewrite the movie, but to look at the movie that we're given. I get what you're saying, though. Uh, so sure. I'd argue as nerds, our job is to rewrite the script. <laughs> uh, I think that's pretty insufferable, but all right. <laughs> if I think I can make it better, I will tell you how I think I can make it better. Um, okay. I don't think I'm there yet, but sure. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, the Canto Bite one was an issue. Let's talk about the one that I actually had the least problems with, which was the Luke and Ray training. I loved it. I love grumpy old man Luke. Yeah, so. that one worked for me. I know Mark Hamill has come out and said, this is not the way I thought Luke should have gone. This is not my interpretation of Luke. He has been misinterpreted a lot, and he's he's gone to lengths recently to try to clarify what he meant. So it's kind of iffy, but go ahead. And I can understand that because – and I'll circle back to that in my conclusion. Yeah, this is a very different Luke than uh, Return of the Jedi, but in this universe – it fits. It's so one that makes sense to me, yeah. I mean, this is a guy who fought a war against his father and the, his evil empire and who thought he had reset everything. And I was like, okay, I have rebuilt the universe. Things look good. And now I'm going to go off and rebuild the Jedi. And then, oh no, everything went wrong. This evil empire is back. Um, <laughs> my attempt to rebuild the Jedi didn't work. Everything went wrong. I'm just going to go die on a rock. Well, plus with Yoda and Obi Wan as precedent, it seems like you know when Jedi uh, like go off by themselves, they you know become old hermits. I don't really have any issues with the whole Luke Ray uh, part of the movie. I know that my my lady, um, or Crimson, she said that she thought it was boring, but she's more like into you know very like quick pace kind of stuff. And I like that it was very meditative. But anyone out there who thinks that say the island scenes went on a little too long and too slow. I'm not going to blame them. I, I like it, but I can understand. I could have used a bit more actual training and action, or maybe a deeper dive into maybe some Jedi stuff. The explanation of the light side and the dark side was fantastic. Oh, I love the the line. I think it's my favorite line in the whole movie. No, my second favorite line in the whole movie, that concept of it's vanity for the Jedi to think that the Force would go away without them. Like, that's brilliant. Yeah, uh, I will admit one thing that I was expecting going in, and it was because my wife was believed it wholeheartedly, was they were going to do the Grey Jedi. Yeah, everyone like thought that, that. yeah. And I really wish they had. I think that would have been a cool direction, but they didn't, so... Sure, but if we're going to have anything from the Extended Universe come into the movie universe, I, I want to see Grand Admiral Thrawn. He's already he's been in... in he's, uh, he's in the universe. Well, he's in Star Wars Rebels. I want to see him in a oh. movie, so... Yeah, if we're talking uh, anthology films, let's get him one. 
Yeah, exactly. But oh, if so, um, I have at least one more. It's not an issue. It's what other people see as an issue with Last Jedi that I I want to address, which is uh, Rose and Finn and their um. So the the whole line, right? We're not going to win by killing what we hate, but by saving what we love. And then the the kiss. I've heard several different outlets refer to forced romance and stuff like yeah. that. And even even when I was in the theater, I heard someone say like, "Oh, come on." To me, me. <laughs> <laughs> to me, this doesn't bother me at all, and I hate forced romance, but it doesn't bother me because I don't see it as a forced romance because Finn's reaction is one of confusion and not reciprocation. And Rose's entire arc in the movie very much ties into something Luke said, even though those two characters never meet. Luke's whole sarcastic response uh, to Ray's inquiry about the past, where he refers to him becoming a legend, basically just dripping with sarcasm, the idea that, uh, you know, legends are are crummy. Uh, I mean, part again, part of the themes is this idea of destroying dynasties and legends. And so Rose begins her arc by idolizing Finn, who she sees as a, a legend of the Resistance. Then she has that idea, idea brutally destroyed, and then she spends basically the rest of her arc rebuilding that particular uh, view of him by seeing him about to like straight up sacrifice himself. So when she thinks she's about to die, uh, saving someone who was about to give their lives to Resistance, who she already idolized before... To me, it's not about romance. It's about looking at how someone treats their heroes and how they feel about their heroes is Rose's uh, mentality and her arc at that point. And fair enough, but that kind of comes back to I think what's a reoccurring issue with this movie is delivery versus interpretation. Sure. If you are, this is your idea, but the majority of people are interpreting it this way, I think something went wrong. And this is a great segue. Let's talk about the last final moment. Um, on the one hand, it looked really cool. You're talking about the kid with the broom? No, no, we'll, we'll circle back to the very end. I'm talking about the battle on the salt planet. Oh, yeah, sure. It was awesome. That, that looked beautiful. Um, I kind of like the general call back to Hoth. Yeah, yeah. But, Plus those uh those ice foxes are way more adorable orcs. Yeah, I'm not a pork guy. Uh, that's a whole another argument of the internet. I but, want an ice fox plushie though. Yeah, that, that was interesting. My only problem with it was is it didn't. I felt let down, and it's probably what? the ten year old inside me that wants one big epic super battle in every Star Wars film. Mm. And I, I think I know where you're going. So the fact that we didn't get Kylo versus uh, Luke, essentially. Oh, I don't care about that. That I'm talking about. We have these new big ass ATATs. Oh, you're talking more about. Okay, okay, I see what you're saying. Go ahead. And I'm. I have issue with the fact that they're still using what by this point is ancient Empire tech, but. Well, it it was you know updated. If you look at those ATAT designs, they're noticeably different. But go ahead. I mean, the already AT, for... the new ATATs are different. They had a couple old school ones standing next to them for size. I mean, we've discussed this in the past too. Like, as an engineer, I've, I've, I've dis- described to you at length why the ATAT is a terrible design for a machine of war. Oh yeah. In general, so. No, at some point I think we'll have to do. You know, no, it's one hundred percent there. But I want new tech. But anyways, and this whole big scene is like, ah, oh, cool. We're going to get to have this big, epic last stand. We're going to get to see the uh, First Order. We'll have some new toys. We're going to get to see some cool 
uh, Stormtrooper versus Rebel action. We're going to have, you know, a cool standoff. And it built to that, and we never got it. And then we got the whole Luke walks out like a badass. <laughs> and it's like, okay, cool. And I would have loved to see maybe Luke pick up one of the ATATs and fling it as an attempt, you know, try and challenge or get uh, Kylo out there. Something to establish Luke as this big, powerful badass that they've been building him to. I feel like they kind of did, but sure. Well, we get that really cool fight. And it was a really cool fight. I wish that we'd actually had, you know, a lightsaber duel, but I'm fingers crossed for the third uh, one. I want to say the thing I love about that is I remember when I was young and I was watching uh, Attack of the Clones and when Yoda and Dooku had their thing and they started off just throwing force powers at each other. Um, it made sense to me because Yoda in the original trilogy was this like was the Force Master. We never saw him even own a lightsaber in the original trilogy. So the idea in my head, and I know in at least some other fans' head, was that Yoda was so powerful with the Force that he didn't need a lightsaber. Like that was just his thing. So then, even though the kid part of me was like, "Oh, the flippy parkour fighting that Yoda does is awesome," there was another part of me that was like, "This feels beneath Yoda." So yeah, to see I Luke. To see Luke win with nothing but his charisma and the Force was like a fulfillment of that promise, essentially. It works and it doesn't work for me. So then, you know, we have that fight. We get the whole callback to uh, New Hope where if you strike me down, I shall grow more powerful than you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Just reworked, which great line, perfect delivery. Plus Luke's new catchphrase, every word of what you just said is wrong. I adore that. So. Mm-hmm. so no, that works great. And then we get to the, you know, the rebellion has failed. They have to escape. It looks like they're not going to escape. And I'm like, oh, interesting. They're all going to be captured. This, that, that could be interesting. And then Ray shows up at the end to save the day. I'm like, okay. But then it circles back to... Well, fair, at that point, there was only like 20 of them left, so... Yeah. Then it kind of circles back to... What's been an ongoing issue for a lot of fans and wasn't an issue with me until this movie, and that's Ray's power. Okay. In that we've been told she is super powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's a result of the force balancing the universe, which I have mixed thoughts on. Well, I don't think it's really a, a result of the force balancing the universe. I feel like that there, that's certainly part of it, what you know, Snoke talked about, the rising and the light and the rising and the dark. But I feel like it, it was more... Uh, again, this. I, so if I really quickly cut to the kid with the broom, I've heard some people say that they think he'll be important in the next movie or in a book or something like that. Maybe he will be. But to me, his meaning in the movie has nothing to do with whoever the kid actually is. It's just the idea that the force that awakened in the previous movie wasn't just awakening in Rey, but awakening in a lot of places, in people whose family lines don't matter. The idea that it's been a long time since there have been like a, a, a wide number of Force users, and now it's awakening everywhere. So for Rey to just to be really powerful, it's just this idea of like she was kind of the first of this new, what's going to be generation of Force users. So Yeah, and that worked, and I understand that. But it was more an issue, and it's been going on, like, you know, a lot of people got mad in... Uh, Force Awakens, where Rey was able to defeat Kylo Ren with the lightsaber. And all fairness, he was injured, but sure. Yeah, that angered a lot of people. Like, ah, you know what? He wasn't really focused, and it was a pretty crude, fast-paced fight. Which I adored, but yes. 
Then, you know, we get this one, and it gets a bit more like, okay, Ray was able to hold her own against the Red Guard while Kylo struggled. Eh. Then Ray is able to lift up all these rocks with no real training, and that was like, wait a second. Okay, I have an issue, because Luke struggled to get his X-Wing out of the swamp, and he had already had some fair degree of training. Ray is able to lift a pile of rocks without breaking a sweat. <laughs> that yeah, bugged me. To me Sure, it, it didn't bug me, but that just ties back to the idea that the Force has never been consistent, and the Force can do whatever the writers needed to do, so I'm not particularly bothered. But I understand that you are. Well, if you and for me, the whole excuse writers can do what they want with it, you have to have enough time for it to be diluted out over. Like, again, I'll reference 40K. 40K has some pretty, you know, big elements of that, like where, you know, writers can do whatever you want. But when you have over 500 books, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> when you're dealing with like 12 movies, it's a bit more concise. You can't really. And again, it goes back to my earlier thoughts. Disney did not have a plan. They did not sit down with the directors going, okay, these are what we want to do. These are the rules. These are where you can work within. And this is what the force can and cannot do. And here's some new things we're going to add in. Like the force uh, Skype. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not I would opposed say, to that. I, I, okay. I would say that I think you are mostly incorrect but i will say that uh okay in regards that i think that they did have those kind of discussions but i i would not be surprised if those discussions did not include the force simply because the writers probably see it as i'll just do whatever i needed to do but the rest of it like what they can do with certain characters and storylines they they i think they did have a plan from the beginning of this trilogy so so then I guess let's just do a general roundup because we've talked about all the major points. Let's talk about. Our I want to say one more, one more fanboy moment. Seeing actual original puppet Yoda made me happy on a very primal level. So that was cool. So why don't you go ahead and talk about the pro, the real things you really liked about? Really okay, the the real things I I liked. I I like that the Last Jedi has a very strong thematic under uh, through line throughout the whole movie. I feel like almost everything that the movie is doing ties back to what I see as a, a strong, recognizable central theme. Yeah, apparently, it's not as obvious to a lot of people, and maybe that's evidence that the movie didn't execute as well. Sure, but to me, it was pretty blatant and pretty awesome. I love that. I love general Star Wars things like um, the visuals of the hyperspace bomb plain thing i love angry luke uh i i st still think adam driver's kylo ren is a super fascinating character partially because he's both really intimidating but also really kind of pathetic i think that makes him great uh i i think finn's charisma is just palpable much 90 percent of the scenes he's in are just better for him being there so things uh overall things i don't like don't like the admiral i can tie it pretty much every problem i have with um Leia's understudy, who is just a terrible character. Yeah, okay. So a lot of the same things for me. Uh, thematically, it was a fantastic-looking movie, which is why I tell people, go see it. You may not like it, but you're going to enjoy how it looks. Uh, the sound, all the Star Wars goodness, the sound effects, the uh, even though they're recycling a lot of the old stuff, it's still cool to see this done again. Angry Luke uh finn poe all the new characters work really well um all of the set designs the costuming everything on a thematic movie element 
is just really, really amazing. And the evolution of the Force, which, again, I like evolution. That's why I want new vehicles. I want this universe to evolve and grow and change and look different. I love that opening. The opening bombing run mm. fight. I mean, the conversation with Hux was dumb. They can you hear me? I'm just thinking, oh, yeah. Really I, I like, well, me and you have different opinions on humor in movies like these, but sure. But that still, that was an opening awesome uh, space battle. The opening shot of the Dreadnought class Star Destroyer, I just love that. So there's a lot of good things. But then there's a lot of little negative things I didn't like. Um, Carrie Fisher doing a Superman. I was going to say, I feel like that's worth a whole another discussion. Uh, Leia's character, what they're going to have to do next. We don't really have time for it now. But um, overall, I have. I just want to say I have no problem with that particular Force thing. Again, Force is a MacGuffin. But what they're going to do with her in the next movie presents a whole other set of problems. So maybe we can cover that another time. I don't mind that she could do it as much as I didn't like how they did it. Okay. Well, like I said, I, talk about I, that I, started, time. I started laughing when that happened. So I didn't like that. I didn't like the Admiral. I didn't like the Casino Planet. Um, and then, of course, the other big thing, and I, this you, your mileage varies, I didn't like that once again they shoved Phasma off to the side. I don't believe she's dead, though. I mean, the oh, fact that her armor could deflect dead. bullets, so there's still, uh, still a chance that they could do more with her. Well, and the thing is, I read the Phasma book because I was really interested to know who she was, and that's Brianna a good Tarth book. in space. So, oh, she's even better than that. I mean, it's a really good book to read. Uh, you discover that her armor is made from starship plate, so she's definitely still alive. All right, cool, cool. But I, f- I figured the movie showing us like the the lasers bouncing off of it was enough for me to be like, yeah, that fire's not gonna cut. She'll her eye will probably be all destroyed because armor was broke there but she'll be fine yeah but it bugs me it's like okay stop wasting this character (laughs) you have a fantastic actor you have set this character up in your expanded universe to be interesting fans like her let her do something interesting and then that was just general issues again we both say go see it so let's move into our last little bit recommendations for the week my recommendation for the week is uh marvel's runaways on hulu i don't know if you've heard about one at all or even watched it at all. I have not watched it, no. Uh, it's not bad. I am a Marvel junkie. I will watch pretty much anything they put out. I made it all the way through Inhumans. I don't know how, but... Is Runaways is Runaways the like X-Men-like thing where they all have... Uh, I don't know. I don't really know anything about the Runaways. Uh, I didn't either. This was a comic I knew nothing about, but essentially the plot is... These group of kids find out that their parents are in a cult of supervillains. Okay. And they each have their own kind of specific power. And that's the best way I can describe it because this show kind of follows that premise. And you can kind of tell that Marvel has worked into the various things. You've got the movies, which are good for the whole family. You've got the Netflix show, which is great for, you know, the older audience. And then a lot of these original programs seem to be more at the younger demographic. Like, hmm. Cloak and Dagger looks like a stereotypical teen drama. We'll see how that plays out. I'm not excited for that one. I'm kind of bummed. This one, again, same thing. You're following a bunch of teenagers and their issues. But the effects are good for TV and the story is oh, intriguing. Oh, here, I, I don't really know if I'll get to it this week because I, I have uh, – but if I can get to watch some of it, then sure, we can talk about it. But uh, – that's know. just my suggestion for the week. It's on Hulu. It's all. It comes out every Tuesday, so you give something to watch. 
Well, I'm not saying these are recommendations necessarily, but some of the things I've been really into. Okay, one thing I want to put forward: um, the the Hey Arnold, the Jungle movie came out in November, and I didn't know about it until the middle of December, and it had some ratings difficulty. So, just for a, uh, a personal reasons, anyone out there who's a Hey Arnold fan and who wants closure and didn't know that the movie came out, go see it. And go see it in a legitimate way, like on the Nickelodeon app or something, because, you know, the more ratings it gets, the more likely that the Invader Zim movie and the Rocco's Modern Life movie will come through. The possibility of a Harold season six. The movie's actually really good. Just get them data to show that people want to see this. So I don't know if you have any history with it, Ulrich, but... uh, I was never a Hey Arnold fan. Well, then we don't have to, then we won't talk about that, but I just wanted to plug <laughs> that because... Uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of, at the very least, there's Rocco's Modern Life Invader Zim fans out there who. I am both know, of those. Yeah, and they're gonna, you know, base whether they pour money into these like closures of old shows on how well things like the Hey Arnold Jungle movie do. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so those are our recommendations. Oh, for I'm the not week. done yet. Oh, you, you got cut, one more. Cut, oh, I'm sorry. You're, cut, you're cutting into me, man. <laughs> so, uh, I, I just also want to add in any conversation on Megas XLR. Always a plus. Like yes. I'll talk about that anytime. And uh, same goes for SWATCast's Radical Squadron. I just want to add I those two. I don't know if SWATCast is out, but you can find Megas XLR on YouTube. If you, <laughs> if you, if you need to buy if you can't find it anywhere else, which I don't know if you can, then illegal means are your only means. <laughs> We're not advocating that. I'm not advocating that, but I'm saying if Cartoon Network does not get their shit together and doesn't want our money, one, one more thing. I've been watching a lot of Community lately. Are you Community Community fan is awesome. That is one of my well, all-time 10, top 10 favorite TV shows. I'm only at the end of season two, but just oh. saying, like, my main podcast that I listen to is is Harmontown. So uh, I'm just always willing to talk about, you know, Community or Rick and Morty, whatever. Dan Harmon's a genius. So. This is true. All right, well, that wraps up our recommendations for the week. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe, rate, and review. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich and... Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and may the Force be with you.